0: doing what i love reading writing and thinking while making a hell of a living and helping my people do the same well hello ladies and gentlemen and all of my friends and fellow degenerates this is i scott shepper and you are listening to episode 157 of the daily scott shepper this podcast is being recorded from my humble abode in little italy san diego on a friday at 202 p m brodus is nestled and sleeping comfortably in his bed under my coffee table in the room outside of me or outside and when he hears me talking and beginning to talk he of course knows that that is a signal to saunter over here, jump up on my desk, and show me his butthole. So I will let you know when that happens, but until then, I am actually going to jump into a story today. And the story today, it revolves around a book that I had resisted reading, or at least couldn't get myself to read for about seven years. And I will tell you the name of this book and about it in just a second. Now, I don't know if I was actually consciously resisting it. And when you consciously resist something, that is called suppressing something, like suppressed desires in psychology. And when you do it unconsciously, that's called repression, repressed desires. So... There's some psychoanalytical terminology for you folks, and I'll spit that game all day, even though I have not read Freud yet, and he is the king of psychoanalysis and Oedipus complexes and, well, quite frankly, penis envy, and sometimes I like to smoke cigars, so I don't want that to be ruined for me I don't want to think about Freud (laughs) and wondering if my um, desire to smoke cigars has some psychoanalytical implications for my well my deep-seated repressed desires to (laughs) wrap my lips around another um, spherical no not spherical uh, cylindrical I don't know uh, what well, the word I am looking for is like f- f- uh, phallical phallus. I don't know. I am not. <laughs> I don't think I am looking for the word fellatio because to phalate and talk about fellating would get me actually grouped into the explicit category of Apple Podcasts, and I don't want to do that. Even though, well, ladies and gentlemen, I just did. So the story begins with myself in. The Virgin Islands. It was very, very early in my move to the Virgin Islands, and I moved there for economic development purposes, which is a euphemism for going from a 53% tax bracket to a 4% tax bracket. And it's also quite useful to go from that tax bracket when you are Making money hand over fist every single day. And the amount of money I was making was pretty absurd at the time. I was a one man wolf pack, a one man show. I had programmed and automated everything. I had contracted some advanced software developers and programmers, and I had found a way to grow a business over the the previous year like every single day to the point where by the time i was in the virgin islands and i moved to the virgin islands in the spring of 2014 and by by the time i was there i was setting the daily revenue records of uh, neverblue which is the biggest online marketing affiliate network or at least at the time and it it's now called Global wide I'm not sure if it's standing today uh it's up there though at the time it was the number one affiliate network and I've just got done the prior month of setting the 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 revenue per day record little did they know that I was just one person. The revenue per day record was i believe it had, I got to check the stats i have it I have everything saved um just to brag about it someday like i like i'm kind of doing right now but it was seventy thousand dollars and i hit that revenue record meaning i essentially promoted a product and they paid me seventy thousand dollars of course i use advertising as a means to gaining traffic and so that was not all profit Yet I don't even look – I never even looked at the revenue figure because I think that's a vanity metric. It doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters at the end of the day is your profit. And actually, really the only thing that matters every single day is your profit after tax. So that's the reason why I moved to the Virgin Islands is because, well, quite frankly, 53% of my profit every single day was going – to the black hole of California's government, and I quite frankly was not using the resources that is afforded to those that decide to pay and invest in California's taxes because quite literally my life at the time when I was living in California was to wake up, walk my dog, get in my Prius. I had a Prius, a gray Prius, and I also had an Audi, um, but I wanted to keep the Prius and drive the Prius all the time to stay humble and keep me rooted that one should be cost effective. So I would drive my Prius about a, I don't know, a few miles away, not a few miles, I don't know, how, like a mile away to my executive suite office. And I lived in a suburbia ville at the time in a white picket fence townhouse, and my executive suite office was in an office park that was very synthetic and manufactured as well. And I would work there after walking my pug Winston in the mornings. And then I would work there till like nonstop till the evenings. And then I would go home. And at the time, I was actually not really a a frequenter of the light and crispy Chardonnays that I so am fond of today. I would instead drink a Nice crisp glass of stone pale ale, and then chill, go to bed, wake up, do the same thing over and over and over again. And so, in order to double my profit, I decided to move to the Virgin Islands. And about three months after moving to the Virgin Islands, things in my business changed dramatically. You see, I used Google AdWords, which is an advertising network to buy not only search ads on Google, but also to show you display ads, which are those traditional image ads that you see around the web. And I was, I would like to say, the best in the world at GDN. That's the only thing I did. And It was quite rare at the time because most people did Facebook ads or Google search ads because there's so much money and opportunity there. But I decided to, well, to just focus 100% on GDN and make that my craft, my skill set. And that's all I did. So if if I could get – if something didn't work on GDN, if I couldn't get it to work on GDN, which I always found out a, a creative way to get it to work on GDN, meaning like Getting an advertise, creating an ad on GDN, the Google Display Network. Okay, Um, if I if it didn't work on that, I wouldn't try Facebook or I wouldn't try Google Search. I would just move on to another product or something else that I could advertise and promote and build systems around and leverage. Because, quite frankly, Facebook and Google Search—that's too easy. I'm I'm in it for the challenge and for to be fascinating and fun. But anyways, about 2 months after I yeah, 2 or 3 months after I moved to the Virgin Islands, things in the Google Display Network world changed dramatically. You see, the ads that I was creating and partaking in, well, I had 14 ad accounts and they were all under my name of 14 different products. Well, the thing is is that that was fine when you're not a huge fish. However, when you're a big fish and you're driving like 10% of the online ad traffic in the U.S., all of a sudden, a spotlight gets put on you. I believe I had my cookie list of um, of of people that I had cookied in, in Google was it was it was it was like six percent let's say of the of the united states internet traffic, so i've basically it's just one person, one guy <laughs> living in the virgin islands on moggins bay on a on a house in moggins Bay Megan's bay it's called but i believe it's spelled of m a g e n s and it was you know operating on a five megabyte per second download speed connection and <laughs> driving six percent of the the internet's ad traffic and yeah i got too big i think and then what happened is one of the clients that i had in my ad account i what i discovered later it took me a while to discover It's like a year and a half later is so google's ad policies change, which they always do, right? And so you just have to adjust them. But it changed this time to where one of my ad accounts got suspended, and then it triggered suspensions across all of my ad accounts, all 14, because it was all in my name. So they're like, oh, yeah, this guy you know, is advertising this product, this company. And of course, then it means like we're going to have to not just ban his client company, but his entire business, everything he advertises for. So I had relied on the fact that I had been flown out to Google's headquarters. I had been given like a, you know, top advertiser award and I. Hey, Scott Shepard here real quick. This podcast is sponsored by me. Yes, me. Sir Scott of Shepard. I am committed to never shilling some dildo hipster crappy freaking product like all the other podcasters do. All right? My only ask, however, is that you spend 10 seconds right now. Literally, pull to the side of the freaking road, the freeway, stop, (laughs) rate and review this podcast. Share it with a friend. This will help me spread my movement. You see, I want to create an army of 1,000 independent writers, creators, and thinkers who get to spend their days writing and creating using analog tools while making multiple six figures if they even need to and more importantly building a tribe of people that they were called to build okay and i want you to rate and review this podcast because it will directly help me in this mission that's all i ask all right now back to the regularly scheduled program peace Was under the assumption, or basically, I relied on the fact that I thought that Google loved me and would never have an issue with me, right? Or ha- basically, there would never be any. I-, I was relying on one aspect. And like if you, you know, a, a business of one is a business of none, meaning if you rely on one thing, well, you don't really have a business at the end of the day. However, it was the dichotomy between focus, like focus on one thing, or complexity and diversification and you know, getting unfocused, right? And because I was one person, I decided to just go laser, laser, laser focus. And that worked for a, like a year and a half straight, but then things changed and all of a sudden it didn't work. So at the time... I, this was going through the the background of my life, and I was like, crap, here we go. I, like, moved my entire, like, I moved my dog, Winston. I was married at the time. I moved, like, my uh, former spouse to the Virgin Islands, and then I only had, like, two and a half to three months of a good run, and then, like, my entire business got shut down. (laughs) did not feel good it did not feel good and it was like the um the nightmare scenario that you you just it's almost like you know if your your car spins out of control and all of a sudden you get a glance of of the wall and you're like no don't head towards the wall don't don't head towards the wall and hit the wall and because you're trying to steer the steering wheel away from hitting the wall what happens is in psychology, it's the reticular activating system of your brain, the RAS. Uh, all of a sudden, suddenly, unconsciously locks on to just that thing that you don't want to hit, and it like <laughs> results in you unconsciously steering your way into hitting it. So that was kind of the feeling that I had at the time. It sucked. It was like, no, don't, don't. Like, I know, I know that this is a problem with my business. I, you know, know it's a business of one is a business of none. However, I need to choose to focus and, you know, just don't, don't, um, don't wake up one day with all of your ad accounts suspended and your business shut off. Okay. Cause that would be, that would be, that would be really bad. Anyways, that's what ended up happening and came to reality. And so I was working through it at the time and one of the books that I was reading every single day in the mornings while overlooking beautiful Virgin Island's view, I would go into the guest house or the guest room, one of the guest bedrooms of the house that I was in, and I would sit and read a book written by Scott Adams called How to Fail at Almost Anything and Still Win Big. It is a book that is essentially falls into the life philosophy category and the self development category, and you know, looking at your cognitive uh, biases and fallacies and decision making and refining your thinking and finding refining how you live and operate. And I was doing that in the mornings, and I remember then I was very impressed with this book. It was it was an excellent book and it helped me to get through that time and i never got my business back up to the same level of success but it helped me get back to like just even just profitability again and get back now one of the things that i discovered with scott adams was a few years prior maybe maybe i don't know maybe a few months prior okay so somewhere between like eight to twelve months prior, I don't know doesn't really matter, but he had written and Scott Adams, by the way, is the creator and the cartoonist and author of uh the Dilbert comic strips, and he's a really deep thinker, and lately he's got into gotten into um being more of a political commentator and analysis. now analyzer of like persuasion. Now, he also wrote a book in the philosophy realm, and it is called God's Debris. And I saw the title, and I read the reviews on Amazon back then, and I was committed to reading it. I was very intrigued about the book. However, it took me seven years to actually finally sit down to read it. I just couldn't get myself to read it for some reason. And the reason is is because there, there are certain books that just do not seem practical enough to warrant your time. or if there is a case for just reading something that is not practical, then usually I, I tend to prefer more of like a, a well-known like classic classic literature book or something like really well known. And, you know, a a book that you see over and over and over again throughout life so that you can finally be like, okay, yeah, like, I know what that is now I've read it. And that's what has convinced me to read Don Quixote by Cervantes, because I kept seeing that book and they're like, oh, it's one of the best books in literature ever written. And I'm like, okay, well, it looks like a beast, a challenge, I'm going to read that thing. And so that's, for instance, why I read that book. Well, God's Debris, I couldn't get myself to do it. For seven years, and the premise of the book it centers around Scott Adams's essentially philosophical take on reality and the world, and the most important laws of reality. And it gets into an in art, not an argument, but like it lays out quite the practical sounding series of. Um, I would say concepts for the concept of pandeism or pantheism and pantheism is essentially the belief that there is no, you know, personal God in the sky as in like a, a, almost like a Santa Claus God that cares intimately about human beings and, you know, in their lives and their actions. Um, It is, pantheism is, known as spinoza's god it's actually the the type of god and deity that albert einstein believed in and it essentially means that the belief is that you know there there was a higher power a god and it essentially imploded itself and created its debris created uh the universe in the in the big bang and so god is essentially in everything. It's you know the 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 debris of life and de- debris that we are seeing around us is God's debris essentially. And it goes through a cycle of entropy where, where where it implodes itself and creates nature or chaos. That self-organizes itself over time into the opposite of entropy, which is decay and chaos, is extropy, which is order and getting itself into order. And in this day and age, we are convinced as a species that, well, that we are ordering everything and we're getting everything a lot more ordered, right? Because like everything is a lot more efficient. Um, You know, you don't even have to drive your Tesla now. You can just play (laughs) video games while your car drives you around and soon to be, you know, just put in an address and and get anywhere. It's like, it's it's almost reduced the discovery, complexity, and chaos of finding things out, which is kind of a joy in life as well. So, yes, that's what the book is about. You can tell why it didn't seem like the most practical thing to read, because it's like, why are you even talking to me about this, Scott? Well, I'm talking to you about this because I finally did read it, and I read it a few months back. And it had some very, very good lessons in it. I'm going to share with you a practical lesson, which is the concept of consistency. You see, we human beings, we have cognitive fallacies. Every single one of us has them. Uh, Some tend to have them on a, a stronger degree than others. And they are things like confirmation bias, in which we have preconceived beliefs and we look around the universe and reality to confirm our our already held beliefs instead of processing new information. Because processing – and we we have these cognitive fallacies – it's not really a fallacy, but it's it's something that is built in. It's a reality. And the reason is, is because if we actually had to reprocess every single piece of information we saw around the world, we would not survive. We don't have the brain capacity or power to do that. So it helps us to have heuristics, which are essentially shortcuts or rules to live by uh, and allow us to make decisions when we are faced with a ton of information. Now, the problem with that is that we are – not the best at at making decisions and processing information even though we may think we are and the reason it's important that consistency comes into play is because well if we are inconsistent not only are our beliefs subject to having some fallacious style of thinking built in. However, on top of that, because we are so inconsistent, it's hard for us to determine what we were right about and what we were not right about. So the important thing to do is to remain completely consistent. And even though you know, even though, you may be wrong, it's better to be wrong and be consistent because you can then look back at your actions and tweak it a little bit to be more consistent and then go forward with that consistent set of beliefs. That's something that Scott Adams pointed out in in God's Debris, actually, is the cure for, well, the cure for poor decision-making is not to try to make better decisions. It's to try to be more consistent. And consistency doesn't just lead to better decision-making over time and the ability to actually adjust and make better decisions over time. Being consistent is also the key ingredient for building trust. And in marketing and advertising and copywriting, in the world of mass persuasion, your number one obstacle is to reduce fear and increase trust. The core ingredient for trust is, guess what? It's consistency. And so, ladies and gentlemen, on that note, I will part now and leave. But as always, I will be consistent and leave you with the most sage advice your ears will ever hear today. And what is that? It's simply this. To stay crispy, my friends. Hey, real quick. This podcast was made possible by my sponsor, which is me. Yes, frickin' me. Sir Scott of Shepherd. You see, I am committed to never shilling some dildo-freaking-hipster-crappy product like all the other podcasters do. All right? So my only ask is that you spend 10 seconds right now, pull to the side of the road, even if you're on the frickin' freeway and rate and review this podcast, then share it with a friend. That's my only ask. You see, this will help spread my movement. I want to create an army of 1000 independent writers, creators and thinkers who get to spend their days doing what they love, writing, creating, thinking, and taking notes using analog tools